everybody. Welcome to ETS on the Grid. I am your host, Dylan Lockwood. We're here today to uh, put a cap on 2019, a year that, uh, well, let's just say what a year it was. So here to discuss uh, the year in review is my regular co-host, Aaron Hardick. How are you doing, Aaron? I'm quite merry, Dylan. Tis the holiday season. Tis, indeed. Uh, we also have Z Prime CEO Jason Rodriguez here. Jason, how's it going? Oh, it's going great. Happy to be on again, Dylan. We're happy to have you. How was your How was your 2019, Jason? 2019 was was really good. It went by really fast, but it was definitely, yeah, definitely a lot. A big, a big thing is definitely the birth of the fourth fourth child for sure. It was definitely the biggest thing that happened in 2019. Woo! Yeah, so so that's been congratulations. Good. His name is Atlas, and he's he's just over two months old now so we're we're enjoying him for sure but but i will say that the biggest surprise of, of going for four it doesn't sound like a bigger difference from three to four but in terms of like going from one to two two to three those were like incremental changes but there was a huge shift in terms of like life and in and, 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 and how life is ordered going from three to four so i think i'll I'll leave it at that. But but it's been fun. It's definitely been fun. <laughs> well, Jason, I I come from a family of four as well. So I have three siblings. Who's your uh, third child? Otto. That's Otto. Ah, uh, yeah. okay. Yep. Are you the she third? She and I need to bond some. Yep. I'm the third. <laughs> All right. Yeah, she, yeah she's definitely uh, the feisty one. And probably it's been hardest on her. I, I would definitely say that for sure. I, I come from a I come from a family of of just two boys far far apart in age. I never had to deal with the sibling competition that I I think Aaron and the Rodriguez kids are going through. But <laughs> I mean it's 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 still family. Uh, Aaron, how Aaron, how was how would you say your your 2019 went? What was a what was a big moment for you? Well, I would have to agree with Jason that it went by very quickly. We did a lot this year at Z Prime, a lot of new things we were trying out. Um, I would say one thing that stands out to me in particular is definitely the Tesla road trip, the EV road trip that I went on with Aaron Otan. It's not uh, very common to convince your CEO to pay you to drive a Tesla around the state. So it was a good year for me. That was definitely one of the most exciting things that that happened. And we still have a lot of momentum around that project and could possibly be um, doing more of that in the future. So definitely something in 2019 that I will remember is is that EV road trip project. Yeah, that road trip was a I think was a pretty big uh campaign not just for you and Aaron but I think for for the whole company. Uh it was a fairly mem- momentous trip. Really uh excited to see uh what what new what new uh direction you you sort of take that going into 2020. Um for me, 2019 wasn't an especially uh, momentous year, at least just like from where I am. I, I it was where I transitioned from, uh, I guess, uh, youthful exploration of my options to 
hunkering down and getting everything, getting all my ducks in a row. Uh, but I, you know, I, I've been since I, you know, live by live by myself. I have having to find hobbies to pass the time. I took up uh, took up home brewing, which is fun, which is fun and actually not as hard as you would think. It's mostly just putting things in a big vat and waiting for months on end. Uh, e-scooters was also something in 2019. I really, I, I really liked. Uh, found it was a became a pet topic for me. So we can actually use that to transition into uh, talking about energy, which we're nominally here to do on this podcast. So, uh, Aaron, what was the energy story of the year for you? I, I really do have two, and I think that they kind of go hand in hand with each other a little bit. Um, but I will say that that my big energy story was the Amazon and Rivian partnership, which may not seem like an energy story, but it is an energy story. Amazon agreed to purchase, I think it was 100,000 electric vehicles from the startup Rivian. Um, And that's really important because this year we saw a lot of big commercial and industrial customers and corporations start to procure their own power and really take these plans to become um, decarbonized and 100% renewable kind of on on their own. They're really going out there and, and trying to figure out ways to have and own their own renewables to decarbonize the supply chain. And Amazon took this big step by you know, saying that we want to purchase 100,000 EVs to do deliveries. And it's just going to be something that I think a lot of other organizations like this are going to follow suit um, because electric vehicles are a really good way to kind of decarbonize the supply chain. So that was probably my big my big energy story for the year. What would you say your energy story of the year was, Dylan? So I think the my energy story of the year, probably the nation's energy story of the year, was uh, PG&E, uh, the California utility, filing for bankruptcy after – uh, the problems they had with the in the fallout of the wildfires that you know killed quite a few people, and then they got into a lot of financial trouble for that, and ended up filing for bankruptcy back in January. Uh, and then that's still something that like is still being worked through on a on a bureaucratic level, judicial level. I mean, uh, and not only is it going to you know affect how Financial institutions view utility uh, view utilities uh, in the future, or how Californians will view their utilities in the future. I mean, it was also just the largest bankruptcy filing by a utility in the history of the United States. So uh, I think the I think we are, we're already seeing starting to see some of the fallout, uh, but how how it actually affects the way that utilities. Um, operate, especially in regards to these new kinds of disasters in the era of climate change, uh, you know, some of which are preventable, some of which aren't, I think is going to be really, you know, this is going to be kind of a a progenitor of of, of something uh, culturally in in the industry. Right. It definitely is. This bankruptcy affected a lot of people and it showed that utilities the biggest utilities are not too big to fail, which um, is a common common phrase 
use when you know we're talking about you're talking about the financial crisis and some of these institutions were too big to fail this bankruptcy showed that utilities are are not um and if they don't address some of the age-old infrastructure challenges now and continue to put those off climate change will continue to accelerate um, the potential for catastrophic disaster within your service territory if you don't actually address some of those very immediate needs which was really you know highlighted by the the PG&E wildfires which led to the bankruptcy and now we're seeing how California is trying to I guess restructure that organization whether it's going to be a restructuring of PG&E or I, I know that there's just a lot of different ideas out there for how you continue to deliver electricity to those um, almost one one million customers. I'm actually not quite sure how many customers PG&E was serving, um, but it, it also showed how companies like solar and storage or how solar companies and how solar and storage companies have the ability to serve customers when these traditional utilities fail or fail to do so. And that was also really interesting for the market to see, I think. Uh, Jason, what about you? What was your mm-hmm. energy story of the year? Yeah, yeah, I, I, like, I like both of yours. Yeah, I think the, the, those are both huge impacts, uh, especially PG&E is it just changes the structural. I think that PG&E reminds me a lot of the early 2000s, which also happened in California where the prices hiked hiked up there um, in, that, in that crisis in the early 2000s. And, and I think that changed a lot of the regulation and, and got got California where it's at today, but I think they're dealing with something else. So, so that is going to have year, years long impacts and, yeah, and then as far as Amazon and Rivian, I think that's a great example, which which kind of piggybacks off, off that. I think my, my story is, is is like Cybertruck, and and being that first, I think that was the energy storage year, not in its entirety, from the, the debacle, the breaking of the window, to putting it in the the national conscience. So what's I think people a lot of people can relate to laughter, and I think it got people laughing. At the same time, people weren't even who wouldn't even think about um, a truck uh, or electric vehicles, for that matter. But I think I think we're gonna look back on that and say, hey, that I think this is this is a tipping point, which ties into the Amazon and Rivian too, um, where I think we'll look back at 2020, 2019 as as where this started, and hopefully in 10 years we'll look back and say, hey, it, that's when things really kind of took off, and, and we're all a part of it. So. That that's my story, Jason. What do you what do you think about just the Cybertruck in general? What do you think about the design? What do you think about uh, the public's reaction to it? What are some of your thoughts on it? Yeah, well, I I I love the public reaction. I could have sat there and read the the tweets and memes like all day. It was just it was hilarious from a from a from an entertainment standpoint. The internet you can't it can't go wrong with with what people were doing. I thought that people were really creative with that. But in terms of like the design, the more I've looked at it, yeah, it's grown. I'm not a truck person per se, so I, I can't see myself driving it, especially with the with the family. But I think uh, 
but but I like it. I think it it was it was, it was a much needed jolt for for that whole category, not just not, not just electric vehicles, but the category as whole of how we really think about transportation and electric vehicles. So 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 I, so I like it. And I can see it being very successful for sure. Dylan, what what do you think about the Cybertruck? I feel like everybody has an opinion on it, so I, I want to hear yours as well. Well, I'm not well, I'm not super familiar with it, other than the fact that, like, obviously, the design is a little, you know, it, it reminds me of when Homer built the car of the future in that one episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like ah. I can tell it's from the future because it looks it looks like it was built by another species. But um, I I think it's really cool that we're trying to you know we're trying to find new types of you know new types of electric vehicles that can provide different types of types of vehicle utility, which will you know help promote. Which, as we discussed many times, will help promote adoption of EVs once there's more than just um you know uh smaller size sedans and and sports and sports cars right and i don't know i mean i i i doubt that most of the oems that are coming out with electric vehicles in the next year too uh their trucks are going to resemble the cyber truck i i doubt that the design is going to be the same on those types of vehicles but i was actually having this conversation jason with don thomas at our uh, z prime christmas party just this past week and he asked me what i thought about the cyber truck and when i think about the cyber truck and the way a lot of people speak about it like oh i would never buy that who would ever buy anything that looks like that it's so impractical my take on it is that Elon is always going to do kind of the most extreme thing and he's going to do what he wants to do and design things the way he wants to design them. The Cybertruck looks like a Martian tank almost. It looks like a it looks like a alien like a military vehicle almost, but I th- think the point behind making this design so extreme is to show the public again like what the most severe version of a futuristic truck can be and I'm not sure how much adoption this first iteration of the cyber truck will get but I would imagine version two version three is where you really start to see the adoption of these vehicles the same way not very many people own the original tesla roadster but now i walk down the street and see 10 model threes every day Uh, so i really like it and i think that people who are just not happy with the design it'll start to it'll start to grow on them and then we'll really start to see some adoption around it it does look like uh, I, I'm looking at a picture now. It actually does look like he walked into a gift shop somewhere, saw a chunk of obsidian, and was like, "What if with wheels?" Uh, <laughs> but I, I, you're, you're right. I'd love to. See, I'd love to see what the what the 2.0 of this would look like. Uh, yeah, those are yeah, those are good points. And I think what I think the last point I'll make in terms of why I think it's energy store of the year because I think it's it's the part to where we really start to think of, when you think of PG&E, for example, we can now conceptually think of this energy industry just being completely different. 
and, and how the traditional utilities are, are left behind or, or a thing of the past. And I think Cybertruck for, for me and, and, the, and the buzz about it was the one that started, that made me think, can, can Ford survive? Can GM survive? Can, can, are, are, is Tesla too far ahead that this is the time to where in, in 10 years from now or even five years, Ford, Ford won't even be a player in this game, very much to how BlackBerry or Blockbuster kind of just missed it completely, and they were just way too late um, because of the internet and stuff. So that's that's where I think Cybertruck is is that is that point. Now, I really hope that the the rest of the um, the transportation and the OEMs can catch up and play in the EV space, but but it could be that Tesla is just so far ahead that the next players have to be smaller and agile to make it to keep up. So that mm-hmm. this is the first time that made me think like Ford couldn't, what's going to happen to Ford if they really can't compete. If you just look at how far ahead, like Tesla model S sales are against any other car out there, like they cannot compete with that. So, so it's, it's exciting, but I think this, you have two industries in complete change, utility industry, and then you have these whole, uh, this car manufacturing industry uh, that, that could be completely different as we know it in five to 10 years. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to watch that. It could go the it could go the other way. It could be it could be another one of those instances where you like uh, where you at, basically out innovate yourself into a, to a point where you you're you're alienating a buyer base. And also, just a just a quick point that when your company only sells like three models of cars as opposed to like. 50 then the number of individual sales on a specific model is going to be inflated more with the less inventory or uh, the mm-hmm. less uh, variety you have in the actual types of cars you can buy but that's neither that's neither here nor there i have my own hang-ups about tesla and elon musk that we don't really need to start like fighting <laughs> over here but uh i want to so before we start getting in before we start looking too far forward i do want to put a final cap on 2019. So like last year, as we did the year before, we, you know, we came in, we made, we made a few predictions and, you know, looked over the predictions we made before to see how it goes. So uh, I'm going to go point by point on the predictions we made last time. And uh, I want to hear your thoughts on what really ended up happening in 2019. So start, starting with, starting with Kevin, kind of an easy one. We predicted that customer centricity would not would uh, not only continue to be a major focus, but also that there would be significant steps taken forward in regards to uh, making utilities more customer centric. Uh, how did that turn out? Yeah, certainly, Dylan. I think we saw utilities focus on the customer more than they ever have, and this is just a continuation of. Um, progression that started probably in 2016, 2017. But this year, we started to see utilities launch more programs and services that give customers more control over their energy usage and what kind of energy they're using, you know, having energy efficiency programs, um, programs that you can sign up for where you're only purchasing renewable energy, just a lot more options for the customer. And I think that there really was a lot of progress in that area and a lot of innovation around the customer, whether it be the smart home 
or better using, again, better using AMI data um, for things like energy efficiency and demand response programs. So I really think that utilities did continue to focus on this, which is also kind of highlighted, I mean, which I think the PG&E bankruptcy and the California wildfires and just having a lot of customers be put out of power really highlighted to the nation how important these things are and how the utility really does need to be aware and cognizant of how they're serving their communities. And um, I think that a lot of strides were taken to give better customer experiences this year. That being said, I do think a lot of it is still in the pilot phase um, and there still needs to be wider deployment of some of these programs and services to make customers feel more empowered, but the ball certainly kept rolling. Yeah, the, the drumbeat of customer centricity, I think, is just becoming talking common talking points, I think, in the industry because it has to. I think they're realizing that voice of the customer. Um, but you also saw a lot of utilities react to that by playing defense, by trying to get out there and be very proactive in what they're messaging and really start to treat themselves like a brand and a brand needs to have these two-way conversations with customers. So so that that was really cool, I think, to see utilities really thinking creatively, creatively of how do you, how do you actually match that that need for, for interaction uh, with the customers. So another prediction that was made, I think I, I think I did this one, was that was talking about uh, DERMs, distributed energy resource management systems, because there were, you know, there had been a lot of discussion around them. Uh, but I predicted that 2019 and 2020 will start to see a greater reliance on DERMs software to support DERs. And uh, I think that this prediction, just based on the re- a report we did with Landis and Gear earlier in the year, I think that went to show that I think we're still in the discussion fit discussion phase uh there wasn't hard numbers on how many people have actually begun implementation but there's but we ha- said, saw that 54 percent of respondents said that that uh they expect derms to increase in importance some at least somewhat over the next 12 24 months with an additional 23 percent saying that it'll become significantly more important so you know th- that there will be an increase of, of importance, but they're also you know looking to third parties. Some people like half of respondents were were unsure whether or not third parties needed to play a significant role in their uh, in their germs. So I, I still think this is very much in the discussion phase. I predicted this would be the start of major steps being taken forward, but it still seems like uh, due to budgetary constraints and planning that it it's not quite there. Uh, do you, do you guys have any thoughts, agree, disagree? I don't know if I would disagree with you, Dylan. So I would say that there was a lot of progress in this area, but I don't know if it was really driven by the utilities. And that's where maybe um, we agree, but also slightly disagree. We saw a lot of big commercial and industrial com- uh, customers, companies, purchasing and deploying their own renewables. So you have... Amazon in October uh, announced three new renewable energy projects uh, totaling about 265 megawatts. Uh, You had, I believe, 
uh, Google also signed like a 1.6 gigawatt wind and solar project. AT&T um, signed a big renewable project for 960 megawatts of renewables. So it's definitely happening and DERs are being placed on the grid. Now, like you mentioned, I'm not sure utilities have figured out the business model around them. Do they need to be the ones controlling, managing, and optimizing them? Will that fall on the hands of the big CNI customers? And if so, how do they end up interacting with those assets on the distribution grid? That's the part where I think we're still just in conversations and nobody's really figured it out. Uh, But there's definitely a big push for DERs this year, but I'm not sure it was driven by the utility. You make a very good point there, because uh, everyone everyone we surveyed in our report was the, was the utility. Um, I'd be interested to see if there's data out there about about derms in regards to uh, you know commercial and industrial to, to, to companies uh, adopting these systems to manage their own distributed energy resources. I, I'd, I'd be interested to see that that data. So another prediction we made was. Digital resilience will become a major focus in 2019. Uh, has did that? Did that? Uh, how did that pan out? I, I think I think you start to saw, see, see echoes echoes of this. I think it still has a long way to go. Long way to go. Digital transformation obviously it was still a big topic in terms of what we do, but in terms of digital resilience, I I, I don't think we saw anything come come to life there. At least not not that I saw. And if you guys have an example or two, you know, feel feel free to share. But I think we still have a ways to go before realizing that I think we're still caught up in in the aura of data and analytics and AI and what it can do and how you implement it and, and how it can benefit the users. But in terms of of really taking the holistic view of, of digital resilience, I, I don't think we're there yet. Uh, but I'm sure I'm sure 2020 will give us you know, have some good examples uh, to share. So I'm looking forward to see how that conversation starts to pick up and the new year. Jason, I would agree with you. I don't think that there was much progress in terms of actually making the grid more digitally resilient, but I would say there's generally more awareness from utilities of the need to be digitally resilient, and they're trying to figure out better ways to use data and analytics to do that, but um, we haven't really seen anybody really figure that out quite yet. So I'm sure I'm sure you both have a lot of a lot of thoughts on this. Uh, I'll start with you again, Jason. We predicted that there would be an increased focus on building a, a digital grid, uh, becoming a more digital utility. That that would be front and center of uh, plan of utility plans uh, coming from 2019. Uh, teeing this one up for you, Jason. <laughs> Did that come to pass? Yes. Yes. It, yeah. Yeah. It did I think? I think the yeah, 100%. There's probably not a major utility out there not thinking about digital transformation and undergoing some type of pilot or, or major implementation to to be the digital utility or utility of the future. And and I think that's great. I think they're thinking about data and how to use it. Uh, but I think well, hopefully what's not lost is doing, doing this just because they see some of their peers doing it. Um, obviously, it's good for the industry because with the data you can there'll be a lot more you can do and provide a lot of value to customers 
but you can't get lost on the the security aspect of it or or kind of may, maybe going down a path that that you you go down at, through your, through enforcing some change just because kind of your peers are doing it so uh, that kind of fear of messing out can kind of hit even even the utility industry um, but but overall it's good i i think this to see that the way it's probably the biggest push we've seen since since mark grid across utilities to implement something all at once and, and that 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 is bound to have really positive effects on the industry and create new innovations and ideas and, and services that they we probably they're probably not thinking about now so so yeah that's really good yeah I'd, I'd agree with jason um we put out our report building the 21st century digital grid and in partnership with abb where we created the digital maturity curve and you know what we found is exactly what jason was talking about utilities are recognized the need to just digitalize operations um across the enterprise make information more available to themselves being between employees more information more available to customers um, and all of that's dr really driven by digitalization and that certainly was a main main focus for utilities this year and then we also we put out a report along the same lines with atos around the transformation of the utility business model so how is digitalization and trying to become a more digital utility how is that actually affecting the business model um, so we see a lot of utilities you know really focusing on these these two areas digitalization and then once you become more digital how do you run your organization how do you create a new business model around that well, another prediction we had was around another different technology ai i think i think chris moyer said that ai was going to continue to grow and start to become a more cons uh, essential component of IoT. Did we did we see in 2019 an increased focus on AI in regards to IoT and IoT technologies, Aaron? Yes, I think we did. Um, we put out the report, the autonomous grid in the age of artificial intelligence of things. Um, so what I think we really saw improvements in this year was using AI to optimize IoT devices and sensors that have been being deployed for the past few years. So we started to see utilities say, okay, we, we deployed these devices, we deployed all of these sensors, we're, we're trying to make the grid more smart, um, but what do we do now with that data? And that's where AI has really come in this year, is helping utilities sort through this data and use it in more valuable ways. Um, I believe, you know, AIoT is one of the things that we're, we're starting to hear. It's this combination of artificial intelligence and the, the internet of things. Yeah, I think you saw a lot of things become AI. We branded AI. So I think that the, the difficult part there is is dissecting which ones are doing true AI in probably this more advanced form and which are the companies that are sugarcoating analytics with AI just for the buzz and the buzz of marketing impacts of it. Um, but that's a, but that's a personal pet peeve of mine, mm -hmm. but overall it's good. I think it's good that they're thinking about how you use this, but I think the hard part is to separate those vendors who are, who are saying they're doing AI, but it's, it's really analytics, but then you have your true AI providers who are doing the advanced some of the more advanced, more definitional AI, and that becomes hard, and that's hard for if you're a utility to 
to do that. But I think what our studies did show is that there there is an increased interest to apply these and how they can derive benefit from it. So in that in that regard, it's really it's really positive. Uh, next on our list of predictions was that 2019 was going to be the year of the EV. I think we covered this pretty thoroughly at the top of the at the top of the show. Uh, at the, if if nothing else, it was the year of the EV here at Z Prime. Uh, so we'll just uh, <laughs> we'll just move on to my favorite Wait, thing. Wait, no, I do have one more. I, so Dylan, yes, it definitely was the year of the EV for Z Prime, but I I don't know if 2019 was the actual year of the EV. It was, or maybe it's more appropriate to say it was the year of the EV in media, but we still haven't seen that large uptick, that really high adoption of electric vehicles so electric vehicles were talked about a lot more this year and i think a lot more people got exposure to them but whether or not evs really really started to penetrate the market this year i'm not quite sure that happened i think that may still be a year or two out waiting on the the more larger availability of models for evs so maybe 2020 and 2021 actually are the year of the EV in terms of customer sales and folks actually buying EVs, um, but a lot of the hype really started this year. I think I think that's true. And speaking of hype and technologies, uh, we get to do my favorite thing, which is argue about blockchain. So we, I think we landed on last time that blockchain skepticism would diminish, the applications for the technology would grow, uh, at least in regards to uh, the energy space did that pan out? Uh, yeah, yes, yes, and no. I, I think from blockchain, uh, yeah, I think you continue to see skepticism. I think there's just a misunderstanding. Uh, there's still just a lots of misunderstanding, uh, which which leads to the skepticism about it. And I think we're, um, I think the rush to put it out there ha- has led to that. So, uh, so yeah, we did see, especially the utility space. You saw a few a handful of projects. There's maybe three out there probably, but outside of energy, I, I think it's still, there's still buzz about it, but um, there's a mysticism about it. That's, that's making it very hard to, to kind of get past in terms of how you actually use it and apply it. Right. Jason, I think there are a few uh, uses of blockchain that came about this year. The one that I'm most familiar with is, was Green Mountain Power. They're using that blockchain platform from uh, LO3 Energy, which I believe would have just launched uh, earlier this this month, um, allowing you know folks in Vermont to buy and sell renewables using uh, blockchain to track those transactions. But that was really the only use case I think we saw around blockchain this year. And there, there may be one or two other projects, but I think the Green Mountain Power project was um, the most extensive, I would say. I have not quite as strong of an argument as you guys because I don't you know I don't I don't have really insider knowledge on that many actual applications that are taking place but just like solely based on the events I went to this year and the discussions I've heard around blockchain I definitely feel like it's somehow being talked about less despite the fact that the technology is developing more and I think some of that mysticism Jason was talking about is pulling back I mean th- this is kind of starting to get into predictions but is is it is it possible that as it's getting demystified it's also potentially in danger of getting branded as a gimmick it could be yeah it definitely could be it's it's going to depend on 
I think those 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 handful of projects going on there, if there's there's a lot of pressure on those to 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 yield something, so they can kind of figure out, well, how does this work, and and what's what's the benefit of it, benefit of it. But yeah, I think I think it definitely could. And yeah, if you think back three years ago, and I'm putting start at ETS right. We we talked about when we we did it here in Austin at the Alamo Draft House. I think there was probably pretty level playing field of, of blockchain. It was AI and EVs were probably three of the big things. Of course, data analytics and I think AI has done and EVs have have flowed their surface, whereas blockchain has kind of just hung out there and, and, and yeah, been downgraded <laughs> for lack of a better word. Well, I think that leads nicely into our next segment. I know we're getting short on time, so we'll we'll, we'll lightning around this. It's time to make predictions for 2020. Uh, I want at least two predictions from each of you about about energy stuff in 2020. Aaron, I think in 2020 we're going to see a lot of heads butting over who owns distributed resources on the grid. We're Amazon, Google, all these other folks who are you know building their own renewables, building their own assets. We're going to see how they affect the utility if they are no longer you know the customer of the utility and therefore the utility is losing one of their biggest customers how does that affect the rest of the grid i think that's really going to start to come to a pinnacle in 2020 and something's going to have to be figured out does the utility need to be involved in these power purchase agreements um, between developers and the off takers and if so what is the role of the utility and then who really does manage and optimize those resources i think that's going to be a very big uh thing that plays out over the next year and then going back to electric vehicles i do expect to see a lot more models on uh, available to customers this year and really start to see higher electric vehicle penetration within communities more model threes like jason said the model three and the model s are like the highest selling uh sedans in uh in the country right now and as states and uh local local municipalities pursue renewable or clean energy decarbonization goals they'll start to figure out ways to incentivize um their citizens, their their communities to uh, play a role in that, and electric vehicles, I think, are going to be one of the one of the big driving factors to a- achieving you know cleaner cities. And so, twenty twenty, having more of those available to better suit folks' needs will drive higher penetration of them. So, those would be my two. What role does the utility play in big commercial and industrial power purchase agreements and um, more more EVs on the road. I think those are both things that I hope happen. Uh, for me, I think the two things are going to be, uh, I think there's going to be a big, in 2020, there's going to be a big uh, legislative pushback on scooters in many major areas where those e-scooters are going in, uh, like going into the spring and uh, summer when the when these deals uh, tend to get reassessed at the very least when the deal in Spokane here is going to get reassessed. Uh, if nothing else, I'm definitely predicting that there's going to be a lot more le- uh, legislation around the scooters in Spokane, but I, I think that will also extend to other places because I think 2019 had a, had, had a mixed bag of stories about scooters from this, from the CDC publishing the, publishing that data about the, 
accidents from one million rides in Austin and or hundred thousand I, I actually don't remember, from many rides in Austin to uh, that that uh, photo that went viral of the big pile up of scooters in San Antonio. So uh, yeah, I, that's that's one thing I think that's going to happen. The other is uh, I think that uh, you know as the climate change discussion furthers, there's going to you know there's going to be a lot more calls from private citizens to to really enforce accountability on some of these uh you know net zero or uh zero emission goals um we're you know we're we're already starting to see echoes of that but i think in i think in 2020 there's you're going to be seeing a lot more stories outside of energy publications about about this on the mobility front i do think that this is the conversation you'll start to see move to these non-car solutions yes scooters are a part of that drones are a part of that but what are what are the solutions and options to to solve these these traffic challenges mobility solutions that really don't have to do with evs uh, i think scooters are a part of that equation but also design design how you design a city and uh, more work from home solutions just any anything that that does not evolve around transportation public or public, including public transportation and electric vehicles and charging infrastructure, I think that conversation starts to really come to life. Uh, this uh, this year in 2020, I think the climate change one obviously is will become big, especially in the U.S. because it's an election year. You will see a lot of hype and buzz around that. Now, actually, if it leads to action, I don't know, but at least from the buzz and in the news, that's that's going to continue to be big. But I also think this is also like the year that the utility fights back, right? Using the Star Wars cliche a little bit there. I think you're going to see them really make their case for reliability. I think they have, and it's always been their talking points, but they're feeling the pressure. They're feeling the pressure to justify their existence. And I think we start to see that both when the customers we work with, but that's also a product of storage, storage becoming more prevalent and solar becoming that. I think you're going to see them really try to make their case in that battle between I think that Aaron talked about, you're going to see some heated stuff. I think they've been able to keep this fairly local, those arguments happening, but with social media and the mixed with the climate change push, you're going to see this become, hopefully become a national conversation, how it ends up. I don't, I don't, we don't, that's kind of only time will tell. Man, I can't believe I didn't talk about micro mobility at all. I mean, like both of you mentioned micro mobility and that's actually an area I'm very interested in. And I, if I could add another prediction, it would, it would just be that I can cop, copy both of y'all's micromobility predictions because I do think that um, whether it's scooters or bikes or um, Aaron O'Tan and I were at a mobility conference a few months ago and we just saw a lot of these new designs for micromobility I don't even know what you would call them because they're not scooters they're not really anything we'd ever seen before but um, that were more accessible for um people with disabilities and just more micromobility solutions in general because moving people around cities has to change and yeah i think we'll see a large a lot of uh, improvement in that area in the next year or so what i do recall after talking to one major major e-scooter provider in the u.s is that there has been what could impact that is the startup backlash right we work uber lyft 
some of the backlash is, is being felt by by those guys, right? And they're obviously mm-hmm. probably not making money. And and so the, the pump it up and, and, and basically prop up a market winner strategy that has worked in technology in the past, um, I think is, is probably not going to work now because of what happened to WeWork and Uber and several others. So that's going to change a little bit, but I think that will hopefully what it does, it increases more competition so these companies may not grow as fast in some places, but you'll get better players, which ultimately leads to better service uh, in the long run. But it may stunt the growth of of some of the ones that were just throwing scooters on the streets as fast as they can. Um, it, but we definitely heard directly from them that because of those, that their funding strategy and growth strategy has has, has changed as a result of of those experiences that have been in the news uh, in 2019. Jason, you, you called it the startup backlash, but I have something for you that I think you'll find funny. I was, uh, I honestly don't remember what podcast I was listening to, but they referred to it as the slaughter of the unicorns. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's exactly, that's exactly where, <clears throat> where it goes. <laughs> you got, you got to do something there and I, and there, and it's, it's going to be felt in that, in that universe. I mean, yeah, but unicorn blood gives you eternal life. So, you know, <laughs> uh, I feel like a lot of those were were solid were solid predictions, but uh, not too risky. I want one hot take from each of you about 2020. If it if it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be about energy. If if you if you feel on the spot about that. Okay, yeah. For energy, my 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 prediction is that we will see a unicorn startup in the energy and utilities industry. We haven't seen one in a long time. I can't even remember. Maybe O Power or Nest were the closest things that I can recall. That was the nicest shiny object that really really hit a growth spurt and tear. And I predict that we will see that or the the, the birth of one in 2020. And my guess is it's going to be around EVs. Yeah. On broader, broader society, I, I think I think this is the year that people realize that the traditional banking sector is not working for all of uh, society. Um, I, I think their traditional finance sector was built for 100 years ago where jobs and unions could, could be guaranteed for 50, 60 years. And we even with Venmo, Cash App, and all these other uh, micro payment apps there's the underpinnings of finance are still the same and that hasn't changed for a long time and i think it's it's about time someone changes that so not nearly as good as jason's and i don't even know if this is considered a hot take but i do think we'll see a natural disaster or some some event cause a big utility to go under i think um, what happened with PG&E is definitely not going to be the first time it happens. And um, legislation regulators are trying to keep up and trying to prevent it from happening. But I, I don't think they're going to move fast enough. And we're going to see um, somebody really take a big hit to their business um, and it, it maybe not not make it through the year. Um, so I, I think that's very likely to happen. I hope it doesn't, but I, I do think it will happen. Um, and then the other thing that I don't even know if this is a hot take, but I predict that the um, the kind of influence or the acceptance of 
electrification of things, particularly mobility, transportation, and um, like new technology in our cities is really starting to leak into popular culture. And what I mean by that is you start to hear, like if you listen to rap now, you hear these like rappers rapping about Elon Musk and Tesla's. And it sounds maybe somewhat trivial, but this is how younger generations get exposure to these things. And this is how social changes and social norms around certain things start to really, really start to change. When you hear popular culture talking about some of these new things and people really start to think about them outside of the way they traditionally did, that's when you really start to see kind of a a turning point in 2020. We're going to see more things, um, more stuff around EVs and and scooters talked about and in, in, in popular culture. And I think that's going to be very, very, very important. Good job, Aaron, uh, on putting your on putting your neck out on those predictions as well. I think I, I, I think in the second in the terms of the second thing, I think you're I think you're absolutely right. That there's going to be more energy references in uh, in popular culture. And I, I look for I look forward to that. I guess my hot takes would be one. I think someone's going. Uh, I think someone's going to debut a new kind, uh, some new kind of fuel for a nuclear for a nuclear reactor that's going to put nuclear power back in the news for a short period of time, and then I don't know. And then in twenty twenty, we'll see if if that continues or fades away. But I bet. I I, I feel like there's been like things moved forward on that a little bit but that haven't really broken broken out but this might be a year where it actually where something like that actually breaks out um although i've been thinking that nuclear would come back for a long for a long time because it seems like a really simple or not simple because it's incredibly expensive to start up but it, it it's always it's always seemed like the the cheat card to reduce to reducing emissions even though it has its own other set of problems but one thing I've discovered is that it's more important that you is more important that you just like show that you're doing something rather than ah sorry my takes getting a little my takes getting a little too spicy and cynical. Um, <laughs> but let's just leave it at I think that I, I I think that that I think that that kind of uh, fuel for a nuclear reactor is going to be I think something big is going to come out of that this year. My I guess my more cultural hot take I think Disney's going to buy a major video game developer. My gut says Nintendo, but my heart says, or my brain says it'd probably be Electronic Arts because they'd probably buy they'd probably buy an American one that's also not a hardware developer. Um, but I bet Disney now that now that Disney is, I think Disney wants to get like really recognizable licensed video game characters that they can start make, that they can start pumping out uh, movies about because I guarantee you that they looked at uh, Pokemon becoming the largest. Uh, media franchise in the history of media franchises uh over the past year and thinking well why aren't we getting a slice of that yeah on dylan i like i like i can see disney doing that by the way i i, I think we, we i could see that you could, I actually had a call with someone two a uh, week two weeks ago about a scientist and our city is named paul durack and paul downs and according to this contact, I don't know how true it is. They said that the China government is trying to fuel, fund them for nuclear fusion development in the tune of like a billion dollars. 
to develop some type of next generation energy. And apparently that's why China is backing it <clears throat> so heavily in that race that they, they, they believe these scientists are, are on to have really kind of cracked the code in terms of doing that. Um, now, I don't know how true it is. They, their web page is kind of sketchy, <laughs> to tell you the truth. Uh, so, but you never know. If there is truth to China pumping that much behind them, then, then I, I can't see that. Well, that's uh, that's a lot more like it in terms of the, the hot takes. We've got, we've, got energy t- we've got energy predictions. We've got a couple fun pop culture predictions. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for being on and uh, wrapping up 2019 with us. Oh, it's been a pleasure. It's been a good and congrats. I don't know what episode is this would we'll, we'll be. Uh, 71, I believe. Wow, that's huge, guys. Good job, Aaron, Dylan. That's good stuff. Big year. Big year. What's the podcast going on? Three years old now? Yeah, it's uh, right. almost. Almost. Uh, All right. Yeah, next, uh, next August, I believe, is our three-year three mark. And Aaron, uh, thanks for spent yeah thanks for spending 2019 podcasting with me, and I look forward to more of it in 2020. Uh, it was a pleasure, Dylan. Uh, we had a lot of great episodes this year. Got to meet a lot of cool folks uh, that came on the show, and I'm also looking forward to another year of podcasting. You can find our research and media at zprime.com, zprime dot com. Uh, new webs new websites. Uh, it, although I believe the old ETS insight still redirects to it, so it's it's okay if you have us bookmarked somewhere else. You can find us on social media at DY Lockwood, at Aaron Hardick, at Jason S. Rodriguez, at Z Prime underscore research. Make sure to also check out at ETS underscore conference as we get closer and closer to our upcoming events, City of the Future in San Antonio and, and ETS 20 in Austin. You can find those at cityofthefuture.io and at ets20.co. My name is Dylan and we'll see you all next time.